Well, good morning, Kettlebrook. Hope you guys and gals are all doing well. If you're a visitor with us this morning, I just want to give you a warm welcome. My name is Mike, and I'm one of the leadership here at Kettlebrook. And um, we just hope and pray that your time with us is an encouragement to you. We do take an offering during our time here. That'll be later on in the service. If you are a guest, if you're a visitor, uh, we're just glad that you are here. So, um, it's 2019. See you guys. Get out of here. (laughs) It's 2019. We're in day 13 of 2019. But it's amazing to think we're only in day 23 of the government shutdown. You know? (laughs) Isn't that amazing? I mean, here we are, you know, 13 days in 2019, and so much has happened. Actually, maybe so little has happened. Maybe not enough has happened, depending on your perspective, where you're at. And, and I, I think perhaps that it's in the middle of this divisive kind of cultural setback backdrop that we're in today that we are going through this book of Daniel. And we're talking about what it looks like to have integrity in the midst of adversity. What does it look like to be a person of integrity in the midst of of, of adversity, in the midst of dissension, in the midst of immorality and iniquity. And it's interesting, the etymology of the word integrity has to do with being whole or intact. Some of you, if you remember back to your uh, math classes in high school or middle school, you will remember that an integer is a whole number. It is not a fraction. It is not a decimal. It is a whole number. And if you are a person with integrity, you are a person who is whole, who is complete, who has consistency. You are not a person who has kind of two different identities or there's any falseness to you at all. It's kind of what you see is what you get. Okay? You are a person who is complete and whole. And uh, this has the notion of being honest and upright, moral uprightness. And uh, I was reminded of um, the importance of integrity just recently. Last week, we have our uh, annual staff elder Christmas party here at Kittlebrook, okay? And uh, this is something that we do every year. It's usually the, like the, the first Friday after the New Year's, and it's something that we look forward to. Some of our staff actually needs to pre-medicate before we have the staff elder party because we laugh so hard that our heads hurt. By the end of the night. So it's, it's, it's these things. And so at this uh, annual leadership gathering that we have, we usually play games. And inevitably, the, the games will kind of end up being men versus women. And one of the sexes, I will not say which one, has the pronounced proclivity to bend the rules. Just a little bit in in their favor, okay? And and so so we were playing one of these games, and uh, someone decided to institute a uh, a mandatory twenty point uh, uh, penalty if there's anyone caught cheating. And in this game, the men really struggled. We tried really really hard, but but I think I think in the end at the end of the game we we lost like 122 to 25, you know. It was like <laughs> something like that. And so, uh, what was I talking about again? 
Oh, integrity. Integrity. Okay, that's right. Yes, being a whole person. And in today's day and age, it's more important than ever to be a person of integrity. Because today, the, the, idea, the whole idea is the end justifies the means. Just go with the flow. No matter where the flow may be going, no matter where the current may be going, no matter the, where the crowd may be going, that is the kind of the, the ethic of our day and age. And this is the situation that Daniel found himself in. You will remember that Daniel was a good Jewish boy who was taken away and he is now being groomed and raised at the University of Babylon, a foreign country, a foreign nation, a godless nation at this time. And so he found himself in all types of situations when he had to decide where he is able to make compromises and where he is not. And last week we talked about the whole idea of this, this idea of resolve. And Daniel, it says, that Daniel resolves himself not to defile himself. I love that word resolve. It's a great word. It, the one, one of the ways that the, the, the translations, uh, the biblical translations translated is to, to determine in your heart. Or another translation is to make up your mind ahead of time. Daniel made up his mind ahead of time not to defile himself. And I love that idea of making up your mind ahead of time because we all know that we just make the best decisions in the heat of the moment, right? In the emotion or the passion of the moment, we are not very good at making good decisions. And Daniel intentionally makes up his mind ahead of time. He resolves himself. I need to resolve myself because every day when I drive into work, whether I'm out for an appointment or anything like that, I have to drive by Culver's to come in here to my office. You cannot imagine how difficult that is. To have to drive by Culver's two or three times a day. And they advertise what flavors are out there. Okay? And so you're driving by Washington Street and you're like, oh, you know, turtle. Or turtle Sunday, Or now it's caramel turtle Sunday, Or it's, you know, cookie dough crumble or something like that. And, and, and before I know it, uh, my, the car is driving by itself and it's, it's going into the, the drive-thru and, and before I know it, I'm ordering something that I didn't know existed just a minute ago. You know? And so every day I have to resolve myself that I'm not going to go there. No matter what flavor it is. For you, it might not be something like almond toffee fudge. It might be that you need to resolve yourself that I am not going to partake in the negative talk and chatter on the floor of the shop against management. It may be that I'm going to resolve myself to not go on those internet sites that I know will inevitably lead to something not much better. Maybe for you in 2019 years, I'm going to resolve myself not to be put in any kind of compromising situations with a person of the opposite sex. Whatever it is, we all need to resolve ourselves to be the people that God wants us to be and intends for us to be in 2019. And today, we're going to continue this conversation 
about what it looks like to be, have integrity in the midst of adversity when we move from resolve to this whole idea of wisdom. Wisdom. Now, wisdom is a concept that has uh, kind of fallen on hard times within the world in which we find ourselves. It's kind of been sacrificed on the altar of political expediency and no matter what side of the aisle you may find yourself on. Almost every day we can see examples of people in leadership of all different kinds where we just wish that they would have exercised just a little bit of wisdom before they hit the return button, you know, on their Twitter account. Or if you're over 40, on your Facebook account, you know, something like like that. Do we see examples of people in leadership who don't exercise wisdom? And we have an acute need for wisdom to be displayed and exercised in our world today. And if anything, if anything is going to change, it is time for the people of God to stand up and say, if there's going to be any kind of wisdom displayed or portrayed or demonstrated in our world, it's going to have to begin with me. And more than ever, our world is in desperate need of wisdom and wise people. And so we need to look at at wisdom today. Now, I can guarantee you, if we're going to look for wisdom, we're not going to find it on the sitcoms or the dramas of, of Netflix. Okay, you won't find wisdom there. The Bible is very clear about the fact that wisdom begins with the fear of God. It says the fear of the Lord is the beginning of wisdom. But what does it look like to, to demonstrate wisdom? What, is it, what does it look like to flesh out wisdom in the nitty-gritty detail of everyday life? This is what Daniel is going to show us today. So I want to invite you to turn your Bibles to Daniel chapter 2. You'll find that on page 625 of your brown Bibles. And uh, for the sake of time, there's a lot of Scripture today. We're going to kind of cover all of chapter 2. There's a lot of scripture, so I'm just going to kind of summarize and paraphrase the story that we find ourselves in today. Now, Daniel, as we've said, is an Israelite, okay? He was probably of royal birth because as King Nebuchadnezzar laid siege to the city of Jerusalem, he ended up taking some of the royal line and high round draft picks out of Jerusalem, taking them away as exiles into the the country of Babylon, and there Daniel has found himself. He's probably a young man, he's probably in his teens, and he's being groomed for a future post or future leadership within Babylon, and so they're trying to make good Babylonians uh, out of them while they're there. Now, it is at this time that the king, Nebuchadnezzar, has a series of terrifying dreams. And he then calls together all of his, his wise men, the enchanters, the astrologers, all those, those people, magicians, people like that. And he brings them together and he says, listen, I've had some terrifying dreams. And so what I want you to do is I want you to tell me what the dreams are and then I want you to interpret it for me. And so all the, all the wise men then respond, great, King Nebuchadnezzar, you tell us what the dream is and we'll be happy to interpret it for you. And he says, no, 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 what, you didn't hear me. What I said is... I want you to tell me my dream, and then I want you to interpret it for me. And they said, fine. You tell us your dream, and we'll be happy to interpret it for you. And he said, that's not how I'm going to roll today. Okay? 
I want you to tell me what my dream is, and then I want you to interpret it for me. You can just put up those verses on there for Daniel chapter 2, 5, and 6. It says, The king replied to the astrologers, This is what I have firmly decided. If you do not tell me what my dream was and interpret it, I will have you cut into pieces and your houses turned into piles of rubble. How do you like that? There. So uh, they have a few options there in front of us, in front of them. But if you tell me the dream and explain it, you will receive from me gifts and rewards and great honor. So tell me the dream and interpret it for me. They then reply this way. I love it. The astrologers answered the king, There is not a man on earth who can do what the king asks. No king, however great and mighty, has ever asked such a thing of any magician or enchanter or astrologer. Okay, so like they're like, No one who has our just job description in any other place has ever had anything like this asked of them. Okay, no one can reveal it to the king except the gods, and they do not live among men. So, the astrologers are not able to deliver on the king's demands, and so the, the, the king then goes out and sends men and executioners throughout the kingdom to kind of carry out his threat there at the, at the beginning. And um, I love what, uh, what happens in verse 14 through 16. We read this. It says, when Arioch, okay, the commander of the king's guard. So there's a lot of Arioch. Like, that guy sounds like he's right out of a Marvel movie there. Like, I, I am Arioch, the executioner, you know. When Arioch, the executioner, the commander of the king's guard, had gone out to put to death the wise men of Babylon, Daniel spoke to him with wisdom and tact. With wisdom and tact. He asked the king's officer, why did the king issue such a harsh decree? Eric then explained the matter to Daniel. At this, Daniel then went into the, into the king and asked for more time so that he might interpret the dream for him. So it's interesting. You can, you can just imagine the conversation that Daniel had with Eric, you know, the commander of the king's army. He came in and he says, Daniel says, Eric, you know, why so glum, chum? You're looking down today, man. And he's like, well, he says, I've actually been sent to execute somebody. Oh, gritty. You know, like, that's, that's not good for either you or that guy. He says, well, actually, I haven't been sent to execute just one person. I've been sent to execute a whole demographic of people, okay? A, 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 whole, a whole group of people. And Daniel's like, oh, well, that's not good. Like, and, 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 and the Arach says, well, it, Daniel, it kind of gets worse. He's, he's, I've actually not been sent to execute a, a whole demographic of people. I've been and sent to execute all of the wise men of Babylon. To which Daniel probably responded, now, just how broad of a definition are we talking here when we say all the wise men? You know, so, so I don't know. I don't know what, what the, the conversation went like between Arach and Daniel. But I do know this is that the author is very, very keen to point out to us, it says that Daniel spoke to him, spoke to, to, to Eric with wisdom and tact. Okay? And so you might be sitting there going, well, of course he spoke to him with wisdom and tact. You know, when your executioner comes to visit you, that's not the time to be lipping off. Okay? But, but actually, you know, Daniel responds a lot better than the king's wise men respond to the, with, to the king with, in verse 11 where they're like, hey, listen, no king has ever asked this of anyone, okay? Like, no one's ever had to do this before in our, in our position. Daniel, in contrast to the king's wise men, responds to Arioch with wisdom and tact, okay? And this is the, the, the first key when we're looking at wisdom. Wisdom is not so much 
what you know or how brilliant you are, but it's oftentimes seen in how you respond to people. And wisdom responds to others with respect and consideration. The book of Proverbs is just replete with uh, Proverbs about wisdom. And they talk about all sorts of things. But oftentimes what the Proverbs talk about is how we respond to others. How we behave and interact with towards others. Just a few examples here. It says, when words are many, sin is not absent. Okay? Some of us would take that and write that on our refrigerator at home. You know? Memorize that. But he who holds his tongue is wise. So if you're a person who can hold your tongue, you are wise. Reckless words pierce like a sword, but the tongue of the wise brings healing. If you're a wise person, what you say actually brings healing. And the last one is that a fool gives full vent to his anger. Someone just flies off the handle. But a wise man keeps himself under control. Okay? So, a wise person, someone who is wise, responds to people with Respect. And this is what we see in the life of Daniel, both here in this situation and in others. Regardless of how other people treat him, regardless of how other people may treat you, regardless of whether you agree with them or not, wise people respond to others with respect. Okay? Now, you may be here this morning, you may need to ask God for wisdom to know how to appropriately and wisely respond to to a demanding boss where you work. You just may, may need that. You may be here and you may need to know, you may need to ask God how to respond to a belittling, disparaging parent in your life. Or you may need to know as a parent how to respond to a, a disrespectful child. You may be here and you may need wisdom to know how to respond to to. All of those people's inane posts on Facebook before you just fly off the handle and say something yourself. We all need wisdom. And wisdom is so often not in what you know, but demonstrated in how you respond to people. And you respond to people with respect. The Apostle Peter in 1 Peter chapter 3 is talking to a group of Christ followers who are very much found themselves in a situation that Daniel was in. They are living in, under the Roman emperor, under the king Nero, who was just a brutal, ruthless dictator at the time, and they were a, a, a persecuted minority. And Peter, in, um, in the midst of this backdrop, very much like people living in Babylon at the time, says to these people, hey, listen, always be ready to talk about the hope that you have, but when you do this, do it with gentleness and respect. First Peter 3.15. He says, do this with gentleness and respect. And wisdom shows itself in how it responds to people. And it responds to people with respect. But not only does Daniel demonstrate wisdom that responds to people with respect. He also reacts to the crisis with resolve. Verse 17 and 18. It says, then Daniel returned to his house and explained the matter to his friends, Hananiah, Mishael, and Azariah. He urged them to plead for mercy from the God of heaven concerning this mystery so that he and his friends might not be executed with the rest of the wise men of Babylon. I want you to notice here that what Daniel does not do 
Daniel does not dissolve into panic. Okay? He does not lose his mind and freak out. But on the other side of things, he doesn't just fall into defeatism and resignation and despair and have a pity party. He doesn't do any of that. What he does is he he resolutely sets out to do the, the few things that he can do. And he goes to his friends. He painstakingly explains to them the nature of the situation. And then he urges them to do the one thing that they can do. Beseech the God of heaven, who, the one person who can do something on their behalf, to ask for him and be very specific about that. Ask the God of heaven that he would reveal the mystery to Daniel. That's what he sets out to do. And wisdom not only responds to people with respect, but it reacts to crises with resolve and with resolution. This is what Daniel does in in verses 17 and 18. You may think that, you know, what Daniel did is a simple response, but believe me, you know, one could do much less or much more. He doesn't slip into this defeatism attitude and, oh, woes me, I guess we just got to wait to be executed. You know, he doesn't have a panic. He doesn't get ahead of what God is doing and take matters into his own hands. Instead, wisdom stands its ground and resolutely responds to the crisis at hand. This is, I'm reminded of King David in this matter. When King David was facing his own crisis at the time, he was on the run. Or when he was not King David at the time, but he was, he was David. He had been promised to be king. God had told him that he was going to be king, but he was on the run from King Saul who was trying to kill him. And a couple of times, at least, that we know of, David had clear opportunity to take King Saul's life and take matters into his own hand. And David wisely chose not to do it at that time. And even his own men were saying, now is the time to kill King Saul and take the kingdom into your own hands. And David replies, no, this is not for me to do. This is something that only God can do. And I am not going to take matters into my own hands. This is what wisdom does. Wisdom doesn't get too far ahead of God. And it doesn't slip back into, just res- into resignation and a pity party. I'm often reminded of a prayer that one of our former elders, Mike Gaynor, used to pray. It's just a wonderful prayer. He would say, God, don't let us be like mule and drag too far behind you of what you're doing. Don't let us be like the horse and get too far out ahead of what you're doing. But let us just walk right in step with where you are and be obedient to what you've put right in front of us at the time. So wisdom, not necessarily shown in how clever you are or the brilliant strategist, strategist you are, is often revealed in how you will respond to the ine- inevitable crises that come your way. And wisdom reacts to crises, responds to crises with resolve. If you sit on a board... If you are an elected public official of any kind, if you are in leadership of any capacity, then you are inevitably going to face crises and conflicts of many kinds. And, and, and I can tell you very clearly, having sat on boards and having been in leadership, that wisdom is not necessarily shown in the decisions that you make as much as it is shown in how you make those decisions that you resolutely set out as a course and a plan of action that you don't lose your head that you don't respond to your critics 
with venom and, and sarcasm. But you, you set out wisely to do the one, those things that you can do. Not only, um, and, and then, uh, not only do you, does true wisdom respond to people respectfully and react to crises resolutely, but wisdom is demonstrated by Daniel as he relates to God reverently. Let's read verses 19 to 23 here. It says, During the night the mystery was revealed to Daniel in a vision. Then Daniel praised the God of heaven and said, Praise be to the name of God forever and ever. Wisdom and power are his. He changes times and seasons. He sets up kings and deposes them. He gives wisdom to the wise and knowledge to the discerning. He reveals deep and hidden things. He knows what lies in darkness and light dwells with him. I thank you and praise you, O God of my fathers. You have given me wisdom and power. You have made known to me what we ask of you. You have made known to us the dream of the king. Okay? I want you to notice the elements here of Daniel's prayer. He starts off with praise and honor, talking all about who God is and what he does. And one of the recurring themes that we see in these verses over and over again is wisdom. Wisdom belongs to God and ultimately emanates from God. And that he's the one who gives wisdom in verse 21. Not only does wisdom belong to him, and as such he's the source of all wisdom, but he is the one who gives wisdom to those who asks of him. This is exactly what James the disciple says in the New Testament later on, over 500 years after Daniel, he says this, James 5, he says, If any of you lacks wisdom, is there any of us here who lacks wisdom in any way? Okay, we should all be raising our hands, okay? We all lack wisdom. He says, If any of you lacks wisdom, he should ask God who gives generally, gener- generously to all without finding fault, and it will be given him. There's a promise in Scripture. If any of us lacks wisdom, if we need wisdom, if we're in a situation where we're in desperate need of wisdom, we can ask God and he gives generously without finding fault and it will be given to him. And then he moves from, from praising God, extolling God for who he is, on to thanksgiving. In verse 23, I thank you and praise you, O God, my fathers, because you have given me wisdom and power. You have made known to me what we have asked of you. What we see in these few verses, and the remainder of the book of Daniel, is that he was a young man. You've got to remember, Daniel here is a young man. He is a teenager, probably. But here he is, a teenager with, with this deep and profound wisdom. And part of the reason that he has this deep and profound wisdom is he relates to God reverently. Okay? He knew that God was uniquely uh, uniquely um, the one who is, who is worthy of his respect and his devotion and his allegiance and all of that and his, and his worship. I want to contrast that with the almost casual way that we approach God these days. Many of us talk to God, address God as if he were one of our peers. Like, he is the man upstairs. He is our buddy. Jesus is my homeboy. Okay? You know, and, and we almost have this almost casual, nonchalant, flippant approach and attitude towards God. This is not something that you will find in Scripture anywhere at all. 
God is the God of gods. He's the creator of the universe. He's the holy one. He is the high and exalted one. And because of that, he is the Lord of lords and we are his creatures. And our proper response and attitude and approach to him is one of reverence and awe. Okay? This is what we see over and over again. All, contemporary terms like buddy and pal usually refers to God and Jesus don't show the proper reverence and respect to whom Scripture describes as the king of all glory. This was kind of pointed out to me when I was at a conference one time uh, with my friend, and uh, one of the speakers was uh, the famous British preacher Stuart Briscoe. Many of you have met Stuart or know Stuart. And we were at this conference with him. And we were having dinner with Stuart. And we had been talking and talking and talking, you know, as you do when you're together. And our food had been served and it was getting cold. And Stuart finally turns to us and he said, he said to my friend Steve, he says, he says well, hey, why don't you say, say grace? And because it was getting late and the food was getting cold, Steve bowed his head. He says, thank you, God. This is good. Amen. And Stuart looks at me and he goes, no, no. You do that over. And this time you do it right. I was like, oh, reverently, we relate to God with reverence. And, and actually, this is, this is what Hebrews, Hebrews says. Uh, it says that therefore, he says in Hebrews chapter 12, therefore, since we are receiving a kingdom that cannot be shaken, let us be thankful and so worship God acceptably with reverence. And awe, for our God is a consuming fire. I want to point out to you folks, this is New Testament right here. <laughs> this is not Old Testament. A lot of us are under the impression that the Old Testament we had to fear God, and in the New Testament, God gets to be our buddy. Okay? But nowhere will you see is that is the case. I think Americans are actually unique in this perspective on God, that He's actually one of our peers. We don't have the appropriate reverence that God demands and deserves from us. And in Hebrews, he tells us that our appropriate response is to approach him with reverence and awe. So this is what true wisdom does. Is it responds to people respectfully, reacts to crises resolutely, and relates to God reverently. True wisdom does all three of these well. Now... To get to the end of the story here, because I know you're all dying to find out what happens, Daniel does not die because if he did, Daniel would end at chapter 2. Okay, and we still have several more chapters to go. What happens is that God reveals the, the dream to Daniel. Daniel asks for an audience with King Nebuchadnezzar, and he says, uh, King, and the king asks him, he says, Can you reveal to me the mystery of the dream? And Daniel looks at him and he says, No. But there is a God in heaven who will reveal the dream to you. And he begins to tell him, he says, This is what you saw, O king. You saw a great and mighty statue. It was just brilliant. And its head was made of gold. Its chest was made of silver. Its midsection was made of bronze. And its legs were made of steel. And its feet was made of steel mixed with clay. That is what you saw. And basically, this is the interpretation uh, of the dream. You, king, are the head of gold. You, your dynasty, your, uh, your empire is the head of gold. The, there, after you is going to come another kingdom 
probably most likely the Persian kingdom, which is going to be the chest of silver. After that will come another kingdom, probably the Greco kingdom, Greek kingdom, which will be the thighs of bronze. And after that will come the Roman kingdom, okay, which is your, your legs of steel. And he says, in the time of that kingdom, the legs of steel and the feet of, feet of clay, the God is going to set up another kingdom. There's this rock that's cut out, not by human hands, comes down, pulverizes the statue, pulver- lands at the feet of the statue. The statue is completely pulverized. It's demolished to dust. And that rock then becomes this mountain that lasts forever. And Daniel says, at the time of that last kingdom, the Roman kingdom, the, the, with the feet of clay, God is going to set up a kingdom that will last and endure forever. Okay? And some 500 years after this dream is interpreted by Daniel, after King Nebuchadnezzar has this dream of this kingdom that God is going to set up, that is going to last forever, that is going to come at the, at the time of those feet of clay during the Roman Empire, a... 30-year-old carpenter turned rabbi waltzes onto the scene in the landscape of the day and he announces, the time has come. The kingdom is near. Repent and believe the good news. And in essence, at that moment, wisdom personified because Jesus is God incarnate, and God is wisdom incarnate. So wisdom personified waltzes onto the scene, and we get to see what wisdom really likes, really looks like. And it's interesting, when you look at the life of Jesus, and especially as we look at the, the last half of, or the last part of his life of Jesus, especially going up to the cross, we see Jesus doing three things, and three things really well. He responds to people respectfully. He reacts to crises resolutely. And he relates to God reverently. Because that's what wisdom does. He responded to people respectfully when he was even in front of Pilate, who was, his, who was basically bringing all sorts of charges against him. He still responded to him respectfully. He reacted to crises resolutely in Luke 9.51. Let's put up that verse there. Luke 9.51. As the time approached... For him to be taken up to heaven, okay, right before he's going to the cross, Jesus, what? Resolutely sets out for Jerusalem. Wisdom responds to crises resolutely. And then he responds, and they related to God reverently. In Hebrews 5, 7, we see this verse. During the days, during the days of Jesus' life on earth, he offered up prayers and petitions with loud cries and tears to the one who would save him from death. And he was heard because of his, what? Reverent submission. Even Jesus had to learn reverent submission to the Lord. How much more so do we have to do this? Jesus personified wisdom for all of us to see. He responded to people respectfully. He reacted to crises resolutely. And he related to his God reverently. Friends, Never before that I can remember, and I'm 52 now, so I can remember a long time, has there been a need in our culture for people, for the people of God to act wisely and be wise and be people who are known for these three things, who respond to people respectfully, 
who react to crises resolutely, and who relate to God reverently. May we be those kind of people. Because you know what? West Bend and Washington County need us to be those kind of people. So let's be that together. Let's pray. Heavenly Father, we just want to thank you for this book of Daniel. We want to thank you for uh, giving us a, a, a picture of what does it look like to be an exile living in a foreign land, living in a godless society, a situation very much like we find ourselves here in the first quarter of the 21st century. Lord, if we're in high school here, we're wondering what does it look like to be the only, one of the only Christians in my high school? If you work in the marketplace, you may be asking yourself, what does it look like to be a Christ follower and work for someone who worships money? And how can I do that effectively? Lord, I pray that you would give us the capacity to be people of wisdom. People like Daniel. People who respond to people with respect. People who react to crises with resolution. But most importantly, people who relate to you with reverence. And if we could be those kind of people, Pray that your reputation would be lifted up in our society. We pray these things in the name of your Son, Jesus. Amen.